When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And I'd like to welcome everybody to the TOT cast. My name is Ryan Greco. You can always be sure to reach out to me on Twitter at Ryan Greco 416. You can always reach Chris O'Cranitz at Chris O'Cranitz. If you have a question for the show or you have your own thoughts and opinions to lay down on us, always be sure to hit up the show's Twitter account at Tip of the Tower. And always be sure to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our iTunes under the TOT cast. The Tay J couldn't make it out this week, but if you ever need to reach him, you can always reach him at Tay. That's T-E-Y 11 underscore out on Twitter. Well, Chris, it's been uh, quite the week in Toronto sports. Uh, the uh, All-Star starting lineups have been announced for our very own All-Star game, the first time that we've had it in the history of the NBA here in Toronto. Um, we've also uh, had some quite the controversy, actually, with the, uh, the NHL All-Star game going on as well. <laughs> I mean... Been a greasy deal, a nice little backdoor trade there to try and prevent John Scott from going, but we'll get to that in a bit later. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that I think we can all celebrate right now is the fact that Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry, is a starter for the second year in a row. Yep, well deserved. I mean, well, DeRozan might join him as well, but Lowry now joins only Chris Bosch and Vince Carter as only multi-all-star selected players in Raptors history. I mean, that's... Which is quite, quite an accomplishment. It, it, it is, it is. Because, I, I mean, I had the opportunity to try and dig back into the history of the Toronto Raptors, and to be perfectly honest, I mean, I barely was able to scrape together a starting five. Well, you said there was only six all-stars all-time? There, yeah, only six. So... It's nice to see Lowry actually keep this going. Absolutely, yeah. And between him and hopefully Demar as well. Um, and I mean, with without even being said, Chris, uh, obviously that this this debate is always going to arise because it's the fans that decide who the starting five is. I yeah. mean, anyone could say any day of the week that you know a guy like Kobe Bryant, he's there as a lifetime achievement award. I'm, I'm sure the entire league, anyone who has any kind of sense when it comes to appreciating the NBA for what it is as a fan, knows that Kobe Bryant deserves to be there, much in the same way that Michael Jordan deserved to be there. And I mean. I mean, a Raptor himself and Vince Carter actually had a, a, a space in history during the All-Star game by giving up his starting spot to the Michael Jordan, knowing it was his last game. Which, I totally understand why he did it, and I kind of wish that somebody in the West would have done that again this year for Kobe, because honestly, he doesn't deserve a starting All-Star spot based off play. He really doesn't. It's just a lifetime achievement award, and that's why he's there. And the fans voted him in, but on the contrary, if you're going to kind of knock the fan vote, you also got to understand that Kyle Lowry, almost a 98,000 vote swing is what got him into the All-Star game, right? Don't mess with the Canadians. Yeah, so I mean, as much as we knock on the All-Star vote, being with the fans, it's what got Lowry in the game. And it's the same thing that got Kobe in the game. So it's a a double-edged sword with the voting process, right? I mean, I'm not for giving the fans as much power as they have in terms of voting, like you said before. Look at Yao Ming, for example. He got into the game even injured. Yeah, he did. Just because of where he's from. Yep. So I get it, but at the same time, it's it's such a double-edged sword with it. I mean, <laughs> I want to ask you a question, Chris. I don't want to dive too deep into this, but I think it's a very fair question to ask for a lot of listeners out there as well. Michael Jordan. Now, there's a reason why Michael Jordan never made the All-Star starting five, and I find this I find this interesting because he didn't make he didn't make it by fan voting. He made it because a player gave up his spot. Whereas Kobe, he got in unanimously. Not only did he get it in without question, he got in because the fans voted him more than anyone else. Now, if Kobe Bryant had left the game for two or three years and came back on a different team, 
and had done what Michael had done. Do you think the fans would be so endeared to him the way that they weren't to Michael in 2003? Nah, you know what? I think they actually would be in this day and age. Really? If they, but if they knew this was his last season. I mean, and Michael never really said it out front, but everybody kind of knew. Well, Kobe's taking the Derek Jeter farewell tour, right? Oh, and just for the record, I just want everyone to know, Michael Jordan still averaging more points, more assists, and more rebounds than Kobe Bryant is in his last season. Yeah, MJ's MJ, man. Like... Fans always use him as a measuring stick when it comes to NBA talk. For good reason, and that's one of the reasons of why. Of course. But at the same time, it does hinder the league, in my opinion, because fans get stuck in the past, and they use MJ as this measuring stick when he's gone. He's not coming back. I know. They, they kind of got to move I, forward. I'm one of those fans that hates to admit it, but it's true. Like it's, we, we have to kind of move on, and it's like we can sit there with NBA, 2K, whatever it is, up until this yeah. year, until 10 years from now, and say, oh, well, it was this and it was that. You know what? Fans that are 20, 30, 40 years older than you and me – We'll also be sitting there going, well, you know what? What if Magic was here? Or what if Kareem was here? Or what if Will Chamberlain or Bob Cousy was here? Where we all know damn well that Bob Cousy can only dribble with one right, with one hand. So well, it's like... <laughs> that's kind of what makes basketball talk great, though, in my opinion, is it emulates a barbershop atmosphere for anybody who's... Anybody knows. It's like a boys club thing where it's Absolutely. just you go in there, you shoot the Get breeze. high top fade. Yeah, man. You just talk all that. Five to the one. Comparable to things like what ifs. That's, that's what makes basketball talk great. And... Things like Michael Jordan as a comparison or a measuring stick, per se. Yep. That's just basketball talk. Is that barbershop atmosphere. And I'm glad that you brought that up as well, given the barbershop atmosphere. Because you've got a, uh, a personal starting five for both teams yourself, given everything that we now have the information to us. Um, Chris, you are one of... I, I'm going to say this right now for anybody listening, for any of our listeners that have, have taken time to listen to this show. They know that Chris O'Kranis is one of the most hardcore statisticians that there is in the game right now. And I, I'm I'm not making any bones about it. This guy works his ass off. And I think that he has a very solid starting five, given all the research that he's done for the NBA All-Star Game. And I think that it's something that should always be taken into account. And now, <coughs> without further ado, because this guy, he hates me right now for me introducing him like this. Yeah, but, he's too kind. Exactly. <laughs> he, he hates me, but I know I have to do it. because no, don't. <laughs> I just did. So, yeah. without further ado, Chris, who do you consider your starting five, both for the East and for the West? Uh, to be fair, like a disclaimer right away, I I don't take the All Star Game too seriously because at the end of the day, it's just a glorified pickup game. I'd rather go watch I'm glad these you guys, said that. but I'd rather go watch these guys play like Rucker Park on the Drew League in the West yep. Coast. I I just rather watch them in a more competitive atmosphere. And that's I, something that's, that we got to do that this summer too. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But to give you like. Five stars in the East, I'd say. it's. I feel like it's kind of a lot of things that people have read or looked around at because these guys are just... They're unanimous, in my opinion. And there's maybe two players you can make a good argument for against. Um, but I'd say Kyle Lowry starting at the guard spot with uh, Jimmy Butler. Um, after that, I'd put LeBron James, Paul George, Paul Millsap. Okay. That's, that'd be my front court. And the other two guys that you could... You could probably argue against Paul George or Paul Millsap would be uh, Andre Drummond and Chris Bosh. Those would be the two guys that you can make a very, very good argument for. Why Andre Drummond? Because I know he's atrocious from the free throw line. I'm sure some people would like to bring that up, but why specifically Drummond? Well, that's why I had him out of the starting five, in my opinion, because not only that he's poor from the free throw line, he's still developing as a two-way player. Don't get me wrong. This guy mm-hmm. rips the rebound. On the low block, he's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. But... A lot of his game is still evolving, which is kind of scary when you think about it. I mean, he's averaging like 16, 15 almost every night. Mm-hmm. So just because of the sheer fact that his game is kind of not fully complete yet, and he still has some deficiencies that you see on a nightly basis, I had to give it to a guy like Paul Millsap, who, yeah, the Hawks, they're not ripping the league on fire like they were last year. Yeah. But what he brings to the table each night in terms of how important he is to the Hawks and their offense and defense, he's one of the most tenacious on-ball defenders in the entire league. Which is kind of funny because when you look at his plus-minus ratio on the court with the Hawks, it's not that great. It just hovers above even. Which is kind of funny when you think about how great of a defender Millsap is and how much <clears throat> how much he impacts the game on both ends of the floor. But because of how much he impacts it, that's why he's in the starting five for me over a Drummond or even a Chris Bosh. I mean, that's, that's quite the take right there because me personally, I would have had Andre Drummond as my, as my starting center, hands down. Who else would so, you have? For the starting lineup? Yeah, give me your starting total, five for these. My starting lineup at center, without a doubt, Andre Drummond. Averaging not just a double-double, but a dominant double-double. 17.6 points per game, 15.4 rebounds per game. I mean, I don't I don't know. Not even, 
you name me another guy who's averaging. It's one thing to average a double double. It's another to average a double double in those kind of numbers where you're you're coming close to 20 points per game, you're, and you're already averaging 15 rebounds per game. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a career high for about 90% of the guys in the league in the lower post. Yep. Right. So power forward. I mean, we also have uh, we have a uh, Whiteside, Hassan Whiteside. He's another double double guy. But the thing that's the X factor with him is that he's averaging almost four blocks per game. So not only are you averaging a double-double, both in the post and also as a scoring threat, averaging 12.3 points per game, but you're also affecting at least, you're taking away four shots from the opponent. You're taking away almost four shots for the opponent per game by yourself. Well, a guy like Bosch helps him out a lot, though, too, right? Absolutely, and I I can imagine that because not only that, Bosch is the kind of guy who spent his entire career stretching the floor. He's a guy who's played on the offensive end. He's actually even, ever since he came to Miami, he's developed his three-point shot. So this is a guy that's not afraid to stretch out the floor, and because of that, it's also made him just as mobile to be able to defend guys off of a switch, especially guards, bigger guards, shooting guards, or small forwards in that sense, and it gives Whiteside that extra step and the confidence, knowing that he has potentially a future a future Hall of Famer having his back whenever he might make a mistake allows him to be over aggressive it allows him to take chances because you've got a guy like Bosch who might I add while he was with the Raptors almost averaged a double-double with his entire career in seven seasons with them how good would he look with the Raptors right now oh my god no, I don't want to talk about that four hole I don't like want to talk believe. it's, it's here, scary round out the rest of your east who's it who's he got for the front court all right small forward I don't even need to see the numbers. LeBron James. Yeah, we best, all, best we all. It's it's you know what? He's Michael Jordan of our era. He's Kobe Bryant of our era. He's gonna be top three no matter what. Doesn't matter. Shooting guard, I don't care if you call me a homer, DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> Absolutely. And for the same reason that his his numbers are there. But you know what? It's interesting that I bring that up though, because there's another guy who's also puts up a valiant point is Paul George. This is a guy who's averaging twenty three point seven points per game, seven point four rebounds. He's started off the season as a power forward. But a lot of people, when they were scratching their heads going, oh, I mean, Paul George is a little bit undersized for a power forward, right? But he's shown himself... He's a big guy. ...capable, right? This is a guy who played his entire career up until this point on the wing. And now he's getting accustomed to backing himself down in the post. It's almost like an older Jordan, so to speak. Because Jordan made a career when he was with the Wizards. Now, everyone can take the shots all they like, but when he was in that low post on a small forward or a shooting guard, that guard had no chance of blocking him. He was going to make that shot over him. And George... For different reasons, is showing that he's very effective in that position. Yeah, Jordan's jumper started to fail him near the end of his career, so he got smarter. He exactly. realized that he could play without the ball in his hands and literally just muscle the young guys down low, <laughs> which was and brilliant was, on his part. He was right? mean. It's great. That's he the was way cerebral. It be. Yeah, he's very cerebral. Right. I like how you gave the uh, traditional starting five though. Well, who's your point guard? My point guard, Lowry. Lowry, okay. Oh, now Lowry. Yeah. He's no. He's had the best point. He's had the best uh, season so far for any point guard in the East. I, I don't. Yeah, I really close. don't want to. Yeah. I, there's only like one player I may argue for Isaiah Thomas off Boston. He's had a hell of a season at the mm. point guard spot, but it still doesn't equate to what Lowry's done, in my opinion. And I'm not even trying to sound like a homer. Lowry's just been a flat-out beast this year. He's, he's probably going to garner some MVP votes when it's all said and done. I've got something for the listeners out here, because I know you already know this specifically, but I think people need to understand. Kyle Lowry last year took the team on his shoulders and kept them near the top, if not at the top, for most of the first half of the of the regular season at the Eastern Conference of the Raptors. And we people were actually taking notice of that, going, like, wait, the Raptors are at the top for, what, three, four, five, six, seven days in a row now? Like, what's going on? <laughs> Keep in mind, DeMar DeRozan was injured for almost all of that entire stretch. Now, not only that, though. Now, DeMar DeRozan is back during this part of the year. Not only is he back, he's healthy. And somehow Lowry is actually putting together better numbers than he was last year leading up until this point. Some of the best. And the fact that he he's even been able to put together those kind of numbers with his main scoring option on the wing there, his partner in crime. I've got some numbers for you right now I think it's worth bringing up. Is For anybody who thinks that Lowry and DeRozan aren't worth being all-stars, let's put it in perspective in this way. Between these two, they are averaging... Averaging 44 points per game as a backcourt tandem. The only tandem that's averaging more is, take a wild guess, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry at 50.5. Yep. If that's not all-star worthy, I really don't know what is as far as scoring efficiency, ability to take over a game. And we've been saying this about, about the Raptors, and specifically DeMar DeRozan, though, for a long time, about how... He's been a part of some sort of 
top backcourt tandem, whether it was with Rudy Gay and now it's with Kyle Lowry. But he's always been in the conversation as one of the top shooting guards in the league. However, fans just never seem to want to give him the respect. Well, he's really evolved this year, as we've seen. It's not so much just scoring the basket. Mm. He's finally realized, at least in the past 10 games, give or take, you don't got to get everything from mid-range. And you don't got to get everything from the free throw line. So what I mean by that is that he's no longer settling for long twos at a ridiculous rate anymore. And he's not driving to the lane to get a foul. He's driving to the lane to score. I know that sounds really... There's a difference. Kinda, there, there's a big and there difference. is a big difference. Yeah, there's a difference. I know it sounds like dumb to most average fans to try and say that he's driving to the lane to get a foul and driving to the lane to score. They're like, well, what the hell? Obviously, he's driving to the lane to score every time. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you're going to the lane to try and draw contact, and if it goes in the net, great. Either way, yep. I'm going to line to shoot two. Yep. And there's a difference to that. Now he's going and he's just... His game has become a lot more versatile where you have to respect his mid-range because that's always been a staple of his game. But now he can take you to the cup. He doesn't shoot as many threes. He He's just... He's moving the ball, and he's starting to play more without the ball, which is a refreshing sight because mm-hmm. a lot of times he just hangs on to it and then settles for a long fadeaway, yeah. which has been a killer. It's been an Achilles heel to his game in the previous years. Whereas this year, you've just seen more continuity and flow in the offense, and it's shown through his game especially where when he goes to the lane, it just changes everything. I would it changes argue, everything. I would argue, to borrow one of your terms, he is that much more cerebral. Now, when he picks his spots going to the cup. <coughs> yeah. What I mean by that is he knows that he is going straight to the basket and if someone hits him, they hit him. But it doesn't matter. No matter what, he knows. He's made the decision. I'm scoring this basket. Yep. No, I 100% agree with that. And people can chalk it up to him playing for a max deal in a contract year and that's why he's motivated. Who gives a rip? A lot of players, sometimes that contract year in their entering their prime years, I guess you'd say, mm-hmm. is where you really start to see them take a step forward in their career. So chalk it up to him playing well for a contract year. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. This is just a player taking the next step in his game. And if he regresses in the next couple of years, then sure, I'll eat my words. But for the most part, this is where you start to see a lot of bona fide stars in any sports league mm-hmm. take that next step is when they're at the big contract year. The big one where they're finally going to get that max out deal. They're going to get paid. Their life's going to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And then you see them kind of progress from there on out. And they become the star. Even if you, even if he does regress though, you're not really eating your words though. Because he's sitting here looking at this going, it's, it's, it's a mortality check even. Like where you realize, I only have so many years to do this. Yeah. Right? And in the NBA... It's, it's a very, and, and you know what, it's never been more clear in professional sports than it is nowadays where the, you know, how many guys do you know are productive going into their 30s in any sport that is happening nowadays? It's tough. I mean, it varies per sport. You look at a place like NFL, when you hit 30, you're basically like a dinosaur to a lot of positions that are You can aren't make that argument for the NBA too, though. Yeah, NBA, you could say, I'd say once you get past like 32, 33, it's starting to go down. A yeah. lot of sports are shifting to a younger it's just a younger demographic. Yep. Even the NHL, like they say your prime is 27 to 32 now. Yep. Before they'd say, hey, you're not in your prime, so you're like almost 30. But now it's shift. everything's just shifting younger. So I, I would definitely agree with that. All right. You can make the argument that a lot of the players nowadays have, especially the ones coming up, have much more information available to them, better coaching, better conditioning, better everything, you know, and, it's, and that makes a difference, right? Like for them to be able to intake all the information that they have allows them to be that much better at 21, 22, 23, 24, to be hitting their prime by the time they're 26, 27, when they hit their literal physical prime with all of that mental information that they've already taken in from the last 10, 15 years of oh, taking yeah. in the game that it is. And, and, and not only that, I mean, that, that builds on something else that we're talking about as well as just like, you know, you, you've got the prep school system that comes in for whether it's hockey in the OHL or whether it's for basketball happening in, in, in Canada, something that's been going on in the States for years. Something that's been going for a lot of these different things is that, you know, these a lot of these athletes, they're, they're training like professional athletes long before they're ever professional. Expectations have changed immensely. Yes. Immensely. Yes. You look at things like the AAU circuit, for example. You're groomed to be a star at a young age where you're put on this pedestal as you're the next big thing. Now, yep. the media is partly to blame for that because we hype these recruits up with five-star, four-star. Oh, my God. Yep. So it's it, it's just a, a different machine now. It's a different beast. And that's a whole other topic to get into, to be quite it honest. Is, it is, it is. But that's why some of these guys, I think the age, like you're saying, is getting younger, where you're hitting your prime at a younger age. Just because so many factors have changed the game now where you are kind of playing like a pro at a lot younger, a lot younger age. It's true. Now, speaking of somebody... Who definitely plays like a pro. Well, hold on here. Hold but, on. All right. You didn't even give me your Western Conference starters. So oh, you got Jesus. started in the West. 
<laughs> you caught me. It's true. It's true. So, the West. Starting at center, Anthony Davis. Why do you do uh, center power forward, small forward shooting? They changed it this year. They got three front court, two uh, two back court. Because I'm a traditionalist, That's Chris, fair. That's fair. and I believe I believe in the traditional sense of what players are, even though it might be long dead hey. <laughs> in the rumble. next couple of years. Rumble, young man, rumble. I, mm, you know it. <laughs> um, no, I definitely would want to give it to uh, Anthony Davis uh, starting at the at the tip off. Twenty-three point one points per game, ten point four. Re- Once again, another guy averaging double doubles, ten point four rebounds. On top of that, uh, right behind him, I might get some heat for this, but I love him, DeAndre Jordan. Eleven point seven points, thirteen point five rebounds. Another double double man. He's a guy who's and and one thing that I found fascinating this year, I will say it right now, if nobody else has said it yet. This is the year where DeAndre Jordan is overtaking Blake Griffin as the most important piece of that cog in the front court. Stop that. He is. <laughs> that is still he Chris is. Paul's team, man. He is. No, no, I'm they talking about the front Blake. court. Yeah, I'm they, talking they about can, the front court. They can live without DeAndre. They cannot live without Blake. DeAndre Jordan has not only that, what a, what do you then what say you to this winning streak that the Clippers have been able to put together? This 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 level of success that they've had now that they don't have to pick and choose between DeAndre and Blake. I'll be honest, I don't give a rip about the regular season because the players barely do. So, and it's such a hollow argument because all that matters is playoffs in the NBA. So it's kind of like, how do you put a value on a player from an individual skill set? It's really tough to. You're just taking like an individual talent and saying player X would fit in good on team Y. And this is why my reasons are. I'm glad you brought that up, though. Because when you take into account, I had an opportunity to watch the Clippers last year. And it seemed like for as great as Blake Griffin was when he had the ball in his hands, when he was playing against the Spurs, it always seemed like, especially guys in the front court that he was playing with, were standing still. It always seemed like when Blake had the ball, he had an opportunity to either dish it up for a three or they all knew he was going up for a shot. And it just seems like whenever... Blake Griffin has the ball. It just takes time away from Chris Paul being able to dictate the offense in a, in a sense. I'm glad you said dictate because part of the problem with the Clippers at times is, and this is a problem with a lot of Doc Rivers teams, they're overbearing in terms of where Doc will call a lot of plays or he'll rely on his point guard to really, like you said, dictate the offense. And sometimes it kind of creates a stagnant set. You mean he's calling they... the St. Joe's offense? <laughs> yeah, if you want to say that a little bit, yeah. Don't worry, I love you guys. Don't worry. <laughs> he, uh, Chris Paul will really make you a half-court team. And the thing about Chris Paul is, yes, he's a great leader. He's one of the best point guards in the entire league. I'd build a franchise with him if I had to. But you've got to be able to bear with what Chris Paul does, which is the ball has to be in his hands. It's a half-court offense. It's going to go the way that Chris Paul wants that damn offense to go. Mm-hmm. So for people to kind of knock Blake Griffin for that, the offense is kind of a lot of set plays at times. They don't play a lot of fluid transition basketball. Yeah, don't get me wrong. They got the name Lob City because of transition lobs and the exciting stuff. Let's get well, let's get one thing Chris clear. Chris Paul is still the general there that runs the show. Baron Davis was the was part of that whole Lob City. Yeah, that's how it first started. Exactly, because Baron Davis was all about that free flowing. Well, if, love if, fest, if, if you're gonna knock Blake Griffin, the only thing you could knock him for, in my opinion, is he at times in big games is non-existent in fourth quarters. You look at him and you're like, "Where's Blake?" But if you want to knock DeAndre Jordan. I think that also attributes to part of his game, though. Because in those moments when the defense really tightens up, he's not going to get that open space to oh, work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's a difficult guy. Like, I, I've always found that he finds it much more difficult when the D really tightens up on him. He works best when he's able to show his athleticism. Whereas a guy like DeAndre Jordan is very good at being able to work under that kind of situation regardless of, of how, much, how tight the defense is on him. Because he's a rebounds first guy, points secondary. Yeah, but DeAndre, look, for as much as everyone wants to credit him, he knew where his bread was buttered, and that's with Chris Paul. That's why he went back to this year. I will definitely not argue that, though. He's he's a legitimate byproduct of Chris Paul where you're going to get good defense from him and rebounding. Yep. That's it. Whatever else comes is a bonus. Whereas Blake, go back and look at Blake in his rookie year and at the beginning of his career even, where this guy's jump shot was... It looked like someone you got out of David Buster's when you see the guy shooting for fun of the net. It was now Andre Drummond his, style. But now look at his jump shot. Blake Griffin has taken so many steps forward that now you can't just say he's an attack the rim player. He is more of a total game guy now. And that's the scariest part, though, about him. He's a total game guy, 
it's sad to see though that the way that the clippers are built around him that it almost doesn't fit him. okay well here this would be like my one final argument to Blake Griffin versus DeAndre Jordan alright you put Blake Griffin on any team in the NBA is he still a star absolutely you put DeAndre Jordan on any team in the NBA is he still a star he's Andre Drummond he's Andre Drummond I don't know about he'll that. He'll still average those double-doubles. I think Someone will I find... Think... At this point, given everything that he knows, he's still going to average double-doubles. Do I think he's going to be an all-star? He'll be a reserve guy. I think you're being a he bit needs... generous. That's... I think he'll be, like, close to a double-double, but not the same efficiency that you see right now in L.A. Put it this way. We've seen how... I, I think the best argument, the best comparison that I can make with him and about how his career might dictate will be like how Dwight Howard's has. Whereas Dwight Howard, he's a physical monster, physical freak. DeAndre Jordan was not that physical monster or freak, but I think as far as body build, Andre Drummond is probably the closest thing to him. Only difference is that Andre Drummond knows that he has to kind of do it himself in a sense. Well, Andre was decent at a young age. Like when he played at UConn, he was still a good player. Yeah. When DeAndre Jordan played at Texas A&M, this guy was a project. Like when they the Clippers took him, they knew straight what they athleticism. Just yeah, let's, he's let's just do a it. raw freak that couldn't shoot free throws. Yeah, and now he can kind of shoot free throws, and he's a much more polished player. But I wouldn't. I don't know if I go as far to say he'd be an all star on any other team than the Clippers. It's a fair point. So as far as my small forwards go, yeah, we kind of went on a tangent. You know what? There. I know. I'm. Hey, hey, this is what it's all about. Though we're on our barber shop uh, ish right now. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> um, small forward. Now. The easy pick is Kevin Durant. It's the sexy pick. Okay. He's got the shoes. He's got the numbers. I mean, he's averaging 26.5 points per game. Averaging 7.8 rebounds. I mean, he's he's a small forward, right? He's the guy that, you know, apparently Thon Maker can school. Okay. So we've got him, but we've also got another guy. Another guy that a lot of people are very high on, but it just doesn't seem like the NBA public, and when I say the public, I mean the fans, are really high on just yet, is Draymond Green as a starting small forward. Hey, he deserves it. And I think that that's a guy right there. He is the true motor that makes that Golden State Warriors team run. I don't have any numbers to back that up right now, right in front of me. I don't really think I need to, because I think anybody who knows the NBA, and anybody who's watched the Golden State Warriors plays, knows how important Draymond Green is to that team and with all of that being said I want your thoughts on that I mean if you had to pick over Kevin Durant and you had to pick over Draymond Green really quickly who would you pick and why well, if you're going to do your all-star team right now I'll give you my starting five after you finish yours then. how about that all right fine so my shooting guard then is going to be James Harden because he fills up the bucket and he does what a shooting guard is supposed to do he scores points that's that's really his only job that that the 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 um the traditional sense of a shooting guard is you shoot, you score, that is what it is. So, James Harden. Point guard, I really don't think I even need to really say it. It's Steph Curry. He's aver- the kid's averaging almost 30 points a game. He's literally a decimal point off of averaging 30 points per game. So, with that all being said, I mean, the kid's also still in the running for being MVP for the second straight year. He probably so will. Yeah. So, I mean, so Chris. Also, sorry, honorable mention for point guard, someone that no one's talking about, Rajon Rondo. 11.7 assists per game with 11.7 points per game. I think that's something that nobody's talking about because he's gotten such a bad rep in the media after blowing up with the coaches uh, with Carlisle in uh, Dallas. And he's it, the Sacramento team is not winning, but he's got Boogie Cousins there working with him. He's got a few other guys there. It's a young team, and they trust his ability to make the decisions with the ball. And it's it's he's turning into one of the best assist producers in the league right now since Steve Nash. He's also a cancer. He is. He's a flat-out cancer. Everywhere he's gone, he's caused issues and I'll leave it at that I won't the only man to ever tame him well actually took two Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen actually sorry all at the same time to tell that kid to shut up for like two years and and then they got too old unfortunately he's just Rondo's this is a guy at Kentucky who was trying to pick up other players girlfriends and stuff he's never changed he's the kind of kid that would only shut up if Magic or Jordan told him to shut up I don't even think he would he's a mega talent though don't get me wrong not just in basketball or maybe Jordan would just punch him out right (laughs) maybe (laughs) kind of like he did with Steve Kerr but uh I lost Steve Kerr yeah he's he's a mega talent though Rondo I mean he was a recruit like a highly talented recruit for a quarterback in football he was a pitcher in baseball and then he was a basketball player so talent's there but for me I I, that's why he's a snake 
because he was playing baseball. I have no idea. We, we know some snakes, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> God bless you guys. <laughs> uh, for right, me, I stuck, I stuck with the traditional, well, not traditional, the new way of doing things, which is two backcourt, three frontcourt. And for me, I got Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook in my backcourt. I got Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green in my frontcourt. Um, if any of them want to step down and step aside for Kobe to come in and have his last hurrah, I do think it'd be Durant for two reasons. Durant is a huge student of the game. He loves the history. He loves everything to do with basketball. And the second reason is because it would be a good way for him to kind of flip the bird to the media, which is something he's been doing for the past year and a half where he tells them that all the time, he casually reminds them, they don't know ish. So I feel like Durant stepping down to let Kobe take his spot would be fitting. And uh, honorable mention would have to be DeMarcus Cousins. That man is a flat-out beast. Boogie is a savage. And I wouldn't say Anthony Davis, but he, he just hasn't been healthy enough. Although I do think the Brow is easily one of the five best players in the NBA. When healthy. When healthy. He could be a small forward if he felt like it. 100%. Big men weren't only making headlines in uh, NBA All-Star voting, though. Did you uh, happen to see the big bruiser there, John Scott, making some headlines in NHL All-Star voting after he got... Well, they tried to screw him. You know what? (laughs) Give me your two cents on it first before we get into details. I just want to make this clear right now. At the end of the day, John Scott really had nothing to do with John Scott being John Scott in this situation that involved John Scott. It's a whole lot of John Scott. Because John Scott is a big deal on the ice. Oh, yeah. He's somebody that always, everybody, every single player on the ice knows where John Scott is when John Scott's on the ice. Yeah, all six minutes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? Let's just keep something 100% real right now. John Scott is the last of a dying breed. I we honestly think he's played his last NHL game. And and you know what? It's a shame because a highly respected member of the hockey community had a lot to say about that. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think it was warranted. And I don't think the criticism of the fans who took something that has always been a joke as far as the NHL voting is concerned and as far as the, the game itself and the skills competition and everything. Like, they, they've tried this for so long to try and let people take it seriously when it just has never been. And, you know, somebody who's as respected in the hockey community as this man that we're about to play, he took a turn on it and and he decided that, you know, he's going to take the stance of the old man shouting at the young kids on his grass. Just play the tape. You've, You've taken this kid who was doing pretty good, playing six minutes, played 12 minutes, didn't matter, in Arizona, NHL contract. What you did was you took and put him in the minors now and he's earning, I'm sure he got a two-way contract, and he's making American League money. Lots of fun, eh? And what they did was, hey, let's get a guy that hadn't scored a goal, and let's put him in NHL. We'll upset the NHL. We'll upset this. It'd be funny. The funny, the kid's in the minors now. You upset the trade. Four families that have to go now. I bet you're very proud of yourself, because the NHL this year is going to be terrific. It's going to be terrific. Three on three. It is going to be dynamite. They spent a million dollars for the for the prize. They and Nashville spent money, and you're going. You tried to ruin it all, and you ruined this kid. He's in the minors, never to come back. I bet you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself. That's it. Now, the first thing I have to say to that, Mr. Don Cherry. First of all, my mother loves you. <laughs> I think everybody loves Don. I think that absolutely. He's a great person, man. Great guy. He's one of the most. He's one of the most respected voices in the hockey community. He's a guy that very rarely ever gets questioned without a, a solid, warranted reason. However, he has been a very controversial figure in the past, and I've always been able to support Don on a lot of his views, about ninety-nine percent of his views on how the hockey world is. But this one, I have to disagree. To say shame on the fans. Well, at the end of the day. Let's, let's just break it down. The Arizona Coyotes, a team that nobody wants. Let's just call it the way it is. The only person that wants that team there is Gary Bettman. They have now made the decision to trade him to the Montreal Canadiens, an original 16 with some legitimate franchise. They put some legitimacy to the idea of shunning him from the NHL by pushing him to the AHL. Now, to sit there and say that it was the fans' fault that he got traded and he got pushed there, and that to claim that they made the mockery of this. I, I, I couldn't disagree anymore. And I'll explain why. The fact of the matter is, is that 
No fan decided to take hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars from John Scott's mouth or his family's mouth. That was a decision made by the NHL. That was a decision made by the Arizona Coyotes. And that was a decision very much made by the Montreal Canadiens, who not only took John Scott with no intentions of playing him in the NHL, but stuffing him off into the AHL. And I think that's a load of crap that we're the ones that are going to sit here and somehow get the blame for this. When the fact of the matter is, is that we took something in good spirits. And the fact that, to be perfectly honest... It's the guys who have sat here and made a living out of understanding hockey and seeing all the numbers and and appreciating the game for what it is. And I have nothing against those guys. But for them to try and sit here and say that we're the reason John Scott doesn't have a job in the NHL right now is asinine. Then at the very end of the day, they could have made light of this. They could have done a whole lot of different other ways of doing this. But to try and put the blame on us, the fact that we cost them millions of dollars when it was the teams that made this decision for political reasons, give give me a break. I'm just going to leave it at that. You all right there, Grapes? No, I'm not. Yeah, you're getting all fired up, man. I, I feel like Ron McLean now trying to get you to... The best part about this, though, is that... <laughs> here's the thing. I had an opportunity to play hockey for a substantial part of my life. I love the game. I've, had a ch- I've given hockey a chance. But when I start seeing people trying to make excuses for something that white collars made the decision on, owners, GMs... Maybe not so much GMs as white collars, because a few of them have been in the game. They know what it's about, right? But I'm not going to sit here and, sit and, and say for a second that it's the fans' fault that something that was a joke to begin with has now cost a man his job because a couple of suits got embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to agree with you for the most part. The thing with the whole John Scott fiasco, if you want to provide context to it, is... Please do, Chris, because a lot of people are going to take me and they're not going to take it entirely seriously until you can at least shed some light on this. You're not entirely wrong, in my opinion. I think what you're saying is right. You're just extremely passionate about it. The thing with it is that Arizona and both the NHL asked John Scott to step down and not go to the game numerous times. And every time... Which is bullcrap, though. Personally, sorry. I keep interrupting you, but still. like, I agree. Come on. It is and it isn't. Like, you look at a guy like Oliver Ekman Larson on that team, he's... Way more deserving than John Scott. John Scott's just a, like, he's comedic relief. That's why he's going, right? But at the same time, if they asked him to step down and he said no, hey, he is voted in, right? It is his technically right to go. It is, as decided by the fans that paid the tickets. That are the reason the league even exists in the first place. For the most part. For For the most part. They, They do fill up the stadium and pay most of the salaries and TV deals and all that stuff. But after they asked him and he said no, they asked him again, and he said no again. And I totally understand why. This is a guy who just makes a little more in league men. He doesn't make a lot of money. He plays like six minutes a night. There's a substantial difference between getting paid in the AHL and what you get paid in the NHL. Those game checks are drastically different. Absolutely. And you fly... Ask Duran. <laughs> you can ask a lot of guys the difference, man. There's a big, big difference. So I get it from his perspective. And let's face it, he's having twins. He's got his whole family going to the Nashville All-Star Game. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, he's got, like, there's a human side to it, right? Of him going to the game and all the festivities. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience for him. For a guy that, quite frankly, is so out of place, it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But there's a human element to it, right? And the winning team gets 100K, which would probably help him a lot when you look at, like, what he's got coming down the chute here. I'm not trying to cry broke for him or anything, but he that, that would help anybody. Let's be real. Especially in a league where, or a profession where you retire, most of the guys retire by the time they're about 30, 31, 32. Yeah. Now on the flip side though, he was on, he's been on every national talk show, radio show, television you could possibly imagine that he could fill in a 24 hour day in the past couple days. He was on the Dan Lebitard show earlier yesterday and one of the things he said was he kind of felt embarrassed. He said he felt sad. He didn't turn on the TV, didn't read any newspapers, nothing. Because he said... He's played this sport all his life, and he's a hockey player. But now he's kind of turned into this big running joke, not a hockey player. Mm-hmm. He's going there as a joke, which, quite frankly, yeah, he is going there as a punchline. I want to see him play with Kopitar, and Kopitar throw some no-look frisbees right on his tape and watch him. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe put in the back of the net. But if he doesn't, I want to see that. Of course. Like, it's going to be funny. But don't cry wolf when you had a chance to back out of this game twice and say, feel sorry for me. If you want them to feel sorry for you and you feel embarrassed and stuff, then back out of the game. But if you're going to go, wear it like a man, like he is, and don't complain about it. Just go, have a great time, represent the league, all that stuff. But where I do have an issue, and I do agree with Don Cherry a little bit, is sure the fans have control of it, 
But nobody's complained from a fan's perspective saying, I don't want to see John Scott in the game. Quite frankly, a lot of people are for it right now. So you can't pin the blame on the fans. If you want to pin the blame on anybody, pin it on the NHL for making a dirty deal. Let's call it what it is here. That was a dirty deal. They traded... It helped no one. It helped no one. No, he just took a, a prestigious franchise and told them, hey, stash John Scott for me. Take him out of the conference altogether so they can get their way. Because let's face it, at the end of the day, who keeps that Arizona franchise afloat? Gary Bettman does. He's probably like... I'm not even getting involved in that because he's he can be a bit of a greasy character. <coughs> Part owner. Oh, who said that? Yeah. <laughs> but to stash him in Montreal, I'm sure Montreal got some sort of kickback for it and everything. There's there's a lot of shady stuff that was definitely going on there where it was just it, it's a rotten deal. Look, Montreal's in the playoff picture right now, so no one's going to give a crap in Montreal about what they do. Hell, the entire province of Quebec isn't going to necessarily. They're pissed right now, Montreal fans. This is the first time they've been out of the playoffs, right? They're not in the top eight right now. Cry me a bloody river. <laughs> oh, man, our Toronto fans, are, they're, they're, they're not the least bit upset, but nope. at the same oh, no. time. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other discussion. No, but um, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up about, um, you know, don't necessarily blame John Scott because, you know what, I guarantee you I know why John Scott has been embarrassed up until this point is because all of the talking heads in hockey. I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people he grew up respecting, idolizing, now saying that, He's trash and he doesn't even deserve to be there. I mean, how? I mean, imagine that. I'm, like, I'll give you an example for me. Imagine if I were to go and I was to, um, you know, go to uh, one of the open challenges for the uh, for the All Star Game three point competition, and uh, I ended up putting together a better a better number. Just I, I had a, I had a great day putting together a better number in the NBA All Star Game skills competition for a lot of fans. And I put together a better number than some of the NBA All Star games and they, uh, sorry, NBA All Star players. And they invited me out to go to the Air Canada Center and shoot amongst the actual players. Now imagine if a lot of those guys were making a, a running joke about it, or that a guy like Charles Barkley, like, oh, this boy doesn't doesn't deserve to be there. Now, Chris, you understand my history with basketball. You understand what I've done, and the the, the sweat and the tears that I've shed playing this game. Same thing I've done for baseball. Now imagine if you know one of my idols would sit there and say, this guy doesn't deserve to be here. This is a joke. Now imagine the kind of effect that would have on me. And it doesn't even matter. Like, I'm good. I've got I've got a lot of great things going for me in my own personal life as far as my professional life is concerned. But at the same time, the idea of seeing the people that you've idolized growing up telling you that you're a joke, I mean, that, that's got to mean something. So I, I can imagine why John Scott would feel as embarrassed as he is. Now imagine somebody who's actually dedicated his life, not only that, but actually been successful at it and actually making it to a professional league. And still, with all of those accolades and still having experienced all the things that he's experienced, still being told to his face by the media that you're a joke. Not just by people in suits or talking heads that have never played the game. We're talking about guys who've done it, lived it, breathed it, won championships. Guys who went to the Hall of Fame, sitting there and saying, this is a mockery of the game that this guy's here. I mean, that... It's it's sad. To play on the idea of you saying the human side of it, it's really turned into a sad thing. The fact that a guy would feel that way that he does. So he's got two choices. Either he's going to man up, embrace it, and be the villain, pull a little Detroit bad boys piston in him, or uh, Zidane Ochara, Ottawa Senators against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Some, something like that because he is a goon by nature. That is what he is. He is a goon. He's, he's the last a of a dying player, breed. Man. He's not a good exactly. Player. He's the last of a dying breed. So either wear it and accept it or feel sorry for yourself. The choice is his, right? Quite frankly, if you don't want to be viewed that way, play better. Straight up. It's just the way sports works. Period. Play better. Reinvent yourself, change your game, play better. That's all it really boils down to. But if not, accept your all-star game appearance and just go. And just have a good time. I mean, he's going to live like a rock star. Be the goon that he is. Man, he's going to live like a rock star there. For he'll be, he'll be the talk of Nashville the entire all-star weekend. Live it up, brother. At the end of the day, he has to walk into that. We have a, we have a good friend. A good friend that we've known for years. We grew up with him. He's the kind of guy that could walk into any kind of situation and knowing he's the toughest guy in that situation. John Scott needs to walk into the situation knowing that and having that kind of confidence. Because even though he may not have the skill, he may not have anything else that's going for him other than the fact that the people declared him to be there. He needs to carry that kind of confidence with him knowing that, you know what, at the end of the day, I'm the toughest guy in this room. I don't. I, I, I deserve that respect. No one give me a hard time. And if they're going Nobody to, will. I'm going to laugh it off. Nobody right? will give him a hard time. Exactly, because no one's going to... And that's it, right? One of his good buddies is Patrick Kane. That's all you got to know. There you go. He's well-respected in the locker room. He's a well-liked player. 
it's just an unfortunate set of circumstances to quote Lou Lamarillo right now. And it's nobody's fault except the fans in that regard where they voted him in. But at the same time, it's going to be comical. <laughs> and it'll be great. And I can't wait to see when he gets NHL MVP All-Star, um, All-Star I hope, yeah, I hope he lights it up. I want to see six game, six goals. Put it up, light it up on whoever it is that he's going to be facing. Can't wait whether it's going to be the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference at this point. <laughs> Maybe he'll wear a neutral jersey and he'll play center for both teams for the entire game. I just want to see him play a Kopitar for a bit, or even Kane. Flip him on the uh, Central Division and let him play Kane for a bit. A couple of Frisbees there, Chris? Oh, man. Him and Kopitar would be hilarious. Kopitar <laughs> is such a, a class above him in so many levels, it would be hilarious. I'm all for it. <laughs> To kind of give like a comparison for basketball fans, imagine they voted in Anthony Bennett. Oh, Lord. <laughs> he doesn't play much. He's well, a good guy, though. We, we had a chance to meet him. He was a quality yeah. person. No, no doubt. I'm not, I, the thing that people kind of misinterpret a lot of times these all-star votes, you're not knocking the person. This is professional sports. This is strictly from a player standpoint. Hey. How you perform, all that stuff. A lot of these guys are great guys for the most part. Newsflash, they're all making six figures or more. Yeah, I mean, you can take all that out of it. It's just, it's a bottom line industry. Yep. So this is strictly off performance. Great guy and all, but imagine like Drake put and Bieber put some campaign together and Trudeau and Norm, yeah. the sixth dad, and they, they gathered all his votes and Bennett got into the game. I guarantee you he'd throw a few down though. Like he, he would be, he would do it with authority. Maybe. He'd be, he'd be I, angry about it. Like, I'd be I, curious to see how the NBA dealt with that. But that would be equivalent to John Scott in the NBA. Yep. But speaking of local products though, You've had a chance to go check out uh, Orangeville Prep, the uh, Athlete Institute up in Orangeville there. Absolutely. It was a uh, fantastic experience going up there. And, uh, I mean, what more can you say about the talent that's up there? I mean, uh, not just Orangeville Prep or Athlete Institute specifically. I'm talking about the entire league, the Ontario Scholastic Basketball Association. I mean, a lot of people are making the argument that this is the future now for elite high school basketball in this country, and more specifically in the province of Ontario because it's became such a hotbed, whether it's in the Kitchener-Waterloo region, whether it's in the greater Toronto area. These are a lot of things that, uh, you know, it, it remains to be seen whether the league is going to be able to sustain the kind of success and support that they're getting right now. But from what I've seen, I mean, the level of competition is, is the best in the country. I mean, it's... You know, both of these teams that we saw that night, the, the the teams that I saw that night, Orangeville Prep and the Hill Academy specifically, these are both teams that regularly go down to the States and they play against good American prep schools, not just high schools. We're talking about prep schools and they're winning games. Uh, I mean, we just uh, we just saw uh, Orangeville Prep only lose by eight to Finley Prep in the uh, the most recent high school tournament that they were in, Athlete Institute, which is uh, the team, of course, that has Thon Maker on it, which is now being you know that's a, that's a big conversation for a lot of uh, people down at ESPNU. A lot of those guys like to talk about him as the next big uh, recruit that's going to be coming up uh, into the NCAA. Uh, he had a good game against Finley Prep, but it was in a losing effort. But you know, one thing that I found really interesting is the fact that. Orangeville Prep, the team that is considered by a lot of people to be the quote-unquote B team of the Athlete Institute, has actually been putting together a better team, a better season than the guys up that are representing Athlete Institute, which is considered the A team, which is the team that has Thon Maker, which has a lot of the more se uh, senior guys on that team. So it was very interesting to see how a lot of the younger guys that are playing Orangeville Prep a little bit are really just showing improving right now. And uh, they're the ones that are, at this point, they're leading the OSBA in standings. Uh, they were down by 20 at one point going into the half against the Hill Academy this this past week. Uh, this past week, And they were able to come back and, uh, and end up winning the game, as a matter of fact, 74 to 66. So, I mean, Chris, to be perfectly honest, like it, to see how close all of these teams are placed amongst each other, it's, it's, it's refreshing to see that not only are the prep teams putting together fantastic records both against American schools and against people here in Canada. I'm enjoying the fact that it's almost a wake-up call to a lot of public high schools that consider themselves powerhouses that were doing a lot of, I'll, I'll, I'll say right now, a lot of under-the-table under recruiting for a lot of these other players that were playing in whatever city they were playing in. And, you know, they're being shown as well that, you know what, it's not just about recruiting. You need to be able to have not just talent, but coaching, a lot of these things. It's it's refreshing for me to see, personally, on a grassroots level. I would love to see the next progression forward, especially with this league, is that 
Offsa would recognize them the same way they recognize San Michael's College, where they would kind of allow them to play in Offsa and kind of make it a true who's the best of Ontario. And I only use St. Mike's as an example because they've been around for years and they are a private institution. Yep. A lot of friends have went there, great school. But they are allowed to compete in offset, right? Yep. And not just basketball, right? No, yeah, they do football, hockey, the whole nine yards. Hell, they had an OHL team at one point. Pretty much. <laughs> it's, let's, uh, yeah, let's yeah, not they have a, words. That's, they had an OHL team. Well, a lot of good players that came through that school, man. It's a mm-hmm. fantastic institution. But at the end of the day, why not put like an Orangeville Prep in there or an Athlete Institute and let them compete? I understand there's a lot more things that go into it in terms of academics, funding. There's just there's a lot of moving parts that don't make it a simple thing as saying, hey, let them play an offsa. I get that. I get that. But why not have a tournament, maybe an unsanctioned one, where you let all these schools go at it. Let them play. It'd be a lot of fun to watch. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, there actually is at least one team to my knowledge. And I'm not, to po- I'm not here to point anybody out, but I know this for a fact. Father Henry Carr is still recognized by Opsa, but they are still playing in the OSBA, which so, I find interesting. It's a very fluid league by the sounds of it, to be quite honest with you, where it, this is his first year, right? This is his inaugural year. It is, year. and you know what, to me, my personal opinion is that it, it, it's it's a exposure league, because you've got, I saw scouts from major NCAA Division One schools that were taking a look at these kids, and I guarantee you... They probably did not give a rip about who won that game. It had everything to do with about what that kid that they were specifically sent there to look at was doing. Yes, I'll play devil's advocate a bit here, having been heavily involved in the recruiting game. Bridge. <laughs> well, they're there to see Thon Maker and Mature Maker. I'm going to be brutally honest here. So the OSBA couldn't have came together at a better time when they have a player like Thon and Mature Maker. Players. How convenient. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's just the way things happen to fall, right? The timing, devil's advocate thing, though, Timing right? means like, everything. But at the same time, kind of using Thought of Mature Maker to kickstart this league is a smart decision because who knows what they're telling. You never know. Like, another superstar player pops up out of nowhere. Don't get me wrong. It's not just all about Thought of Mature Maker. There's other great players there. To use Orangeville and AI Prep, for example, you got guys like Jalen Lewin, Javon Blair, Nicola. I mean, there's a lot of players there yep. that are very talented players. Absolutely. But at the same time, I'm going to keep in perspective here. You got guys like Jay Billis, John Ratchbones, like the list goes on and on of guys from ESPN, 24-7 Sports, CBS. You say the, the name Fawn Maker, everybody knows who it is. So it's very smart to kind of market your entire league around him. And you know what? They haven't really marketed. You don't see much of it. No, you don't. Only basketball heads know about these games. Yeah. So that that's kind of why I brought up I'd like to see them be allowed to play an offset. Because high school sports up here in general doesn't get the funding that U.S. places do or prep schools. And that's for obvious reasons. But at the same time, if they want sports in general to be taken serious here north of the border, you got to showcase these players. you got to let them be seen. It can't just always be, well, you're never going to be seen up here because all you're doing is you're playing on a high school team and the scouts down south aren't going to see you because you're not playing U.S. competition. Yeah. I totally get it. But if you're going to want to make a change to that, then start making a change. Absolutely. Because above all else, I mean, here's, here's the fun part about it. We've got, we've got kids now starting to leave the American system and guys like Jalen Poyser, who's now at UNLV. And you've got guys like Jamal Murray, who spent his entire high school career playing in Canada. They're the exception. They're definitely not the rule. The real watershed moment was bringing Thon and Matur on and having them in Canada because they went the American prep school route. They were at Carlisle. They did their thing there for a couple of years, more specifically Thon than anybody. But the fact that they were able to stand up, look around and say, you know what? I like this area better. I like Canada better. I like the environment here a little bit better to focus on my game. And the idea of that, bringing them up here is something that, to be perfectly honest, I think it caught everybody so off guard, including the people in this country, as far as amateur basketball goes, that even they don't know really what to do with it just yet. And it's going to be interesting to see now, what's going to happen once Thon and Mature leave? What's going to happen once a lot of these, like, are we going to, are we going to just deal with that legacy and we're just going to try and live off that? Or are we going to continue building on what we have and showing these kids that there is a way beyond just going to the American, or sorry, going to the prep schools in the U.S.? Well, again, to be devil's advocate here, you look at two of the better prospects coming off the 2018-2019 class. You got Simi Shitu and yes. 
RJ Barrett. Yo. Ron Barrett Jr. Both in the States. Yeah. They're both playing Monverde, which is a fantastic yep. prep school. I Absolutely. Mean, that's creme de la creme right there. But to kind of go back on what you're saying, they're not playing Canada. Nope. And I, uh, to be completely fair again, I get why they're not playing up here. I agree. I get it. I, I know too. And if I was a parent and I had a kid as talented as them and they had the opportunity to play Monverde, I'd send my kid there too. Mm-hmm. 100%. Just knowing the exposure and what's going to come of it, they're both going to get D1 looks. Probably D1 offers. Not only that, they're proven. Those academies are proven. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people are going to... It's going to be a very wait-and-see kind of situation with places like AI Academy or BTV Prep or um, the Hill Academy or even Father Henry Carr. Like, a lot of these different places, it's going to be very interesting. It's going to be a wait-and-see kind of situation with them because for all of the great, amazing athletes and talents that we've put in the NBA in the last five years... Every single one of those players have spent time in the States at some point playing basketball. Well, here's the biggest difference. When you roll tape for a recruiter and they ask you, who's he playing against? You say, this is against a Canadian team, no SBA league, or this is against a Canadian team in OFSA. Some of that nature, they go, nah, give me some other tape of him playing some American team for some tournament, against some AAU, whatever. You got anything against better competition? I don't trust this competition. That's really what it boils down to with the Canadian kids where American recruiters do not trust what they're seeing on tape up here because they question the competition level. That's really what it boils down to, and that's why when they play U.S. competition, call it American ignorance, call it whatever you want, that's the way it is. So when they play U.S. kids and they see that, it's just everything changes. But right that's away. the way it has to be, though. And that's fine. And that's the only reason why, and you know what, we can go back to, not to get too, too deep into it, but it's the exact same reason why Jamal Murray got on Kentucky, because as soon as they put him up against international competition, as soon as they put him up against American competition, this is a kid that everybody, a lot of guys had him on his radar, but they didn't know he was this good until they put him up against those kids more consistently. Yeah, the hoop, the hoop summit is where he really came out. I mean, exactly. He, you look at the grassroots tournament, the Kentucky Blue grassroots tournament that they had there, which is like every November, December. He played well. He played he, well with. But he well. wasn't like earth shattering in the way that. Oh, the hoop summit was something else. Man. Exactly. He, he sat there. He had and he was arguably like, the greatest performance in hoop summit history. Yeah. And that really propelled him forward, and. The dude's a phenomenal player, man. That's a lottery pick. Yeah. But to kind of go back to where I'm saying with when they see film, film can be deceiving. It's true. 100% film can be deceiving. Even watching one tournament can be deceiving. You need sample size when you're recruiting. That's just the way it works. Is when he kind of bursts on the scene at the Hoop Summit, it reassured everybody that what they saw before is 100% legit and this kid's the real deal. And then he kept doing it. From the bio steal and everything else from there, he was just, he was a dynamite. And he's still doing it right now with Kentucky. You can even make that argument. Yeah, like Kentucky's gone through some groin pains this year, but for the most part, Jamal's played well. Sure, he's had some nights where he shot the ball poorly, yeah. but the team's young. It's a it's a freshman roster like it is almost every year for Calipari. Judge them on the tournament. Judge them when they get in the SEC play. Not just SEC regular season play, SEC playoffs, SEC tournament. Yep. The SEC tournament, and then when they get in the March Madness, judge them then. Like, really judge them then, because you're going to see a different level. Guys like Isaiah Briscoe, who are struggling now alongside him, which is the guard playing with them, they're going to, 30 games in, they're going to have a different chemistry, they're going to mesh. It's just, I would judge them then. Exactly. If you're going to want to judge them anymore, do it then. And that just about wraps up this edition of the TOT cast. As always, I'd like to thank Chris O'Kranitz. A big shout-out to Natea J, who will be joining us next week when we air our next episode. Uh, if you want to reach out to the show, always be sure to reach us at Tip of the Tower on Twitter. You can also like the Facebook page. Uh, you can also be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes now uh, at TOTCast. And, of course, you can reach me at RyanGreco416. And you can always reach Chris O'Kranitz at Chris O'Kranitz on Twitter. Everybody have yourselves a fantastic weekend, and we will see you all next week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.